0: Welcome to the Bolt from the Blue podcast episode 46, Everton 0, Manchester City 2, top of the league. We celebrate that. I've got two guys with me. The first one I have is Presswich Blue, Colin Savage. Colin, how
1: are you, mate? I'm good, actually. Yeah, yeah. went to the game, got home, sat down. think I'll go to bed in a minute. And the next thing I woke up, it was nearly 3 a.m. and I'm <laughs> sat there in my clothes. Oh.
0: Oh my goodness.
1: And the other one I've got with me is Man City Fan
0: TV, Ray. Ray, how are you?
2: Hey uh, Mike and uh, Colin, I'm doing very well. Always do very well after we win a game and we're sitting on top of the table. Fantastic feeling.
0: Now let's get started on this game. We're going to start with Colin Savage. I sat there biting my nails off the whole way through that. They proved to be a much tougher and more obdurate opponent than we could have expected. Did you find that too?
1: Yeah, I mean, it reminded me of going to Goodison in the David Moyes era, where Everton would hassle you, be all energetic. They'd move the ball quite quickly. We used to be relieved if we ever got to half-time, nil-nil. But we generally didn't get to half-time, nil-nil, because generally Everton scored in the kind 38-42 minute time slot. So, yeah, it was a much tougher game than I was expecting, considering the way... Everton have played
0: recently. Ray Everton made a number of changes to their lineup. Started with a lineup that we didn't expect. Some of their senior players like Sigurdsson, Richarlison, Tosun, they were left on the bench, and he went with a few of the kids, didn't he? Uh,
2: for us, uh, non-Evertonians, it was a bit of, uh, of a surprise, and uh, I'll be honest, a bit of a relief uh, not to see Richarlison probably. And Sigurdsson probably their best uh, two players, and Torsson, who's a big chap who puts himself about. um, We saw that when he when he came on, he he really you know give our defenders a torrid time in the air. So as I said, I was I was relieved not to see them. But uh, I mean, give Everton credit. I mean, they've had a a poor run recently in the media anyway. Marco Silva's uh, come under a a little bit of pressure, and people questioning whether he's the right man for the job, whether he can uh, stick it out for the course. So I, I think he had to make sure that they played in the Everton way, at least, or at least in the last 10 or 15 years, which is the hard work ethic, the running around, the never giving up, putting teams under pressure, whether it's by tackling or chasing down. And uh, they certainly did that. They didn't create much. I think in the whole game, they had one shot on target. But I think they harried and they didn't want to make life too easy for us. And we would have uh, to use our skill to beat them, basically.
1: Their line-up was about containment rather than trying to take us on. Is
0: it an unfair characterisation of uh, Marcus Silva to say that he starts off well with clubs, but after a, a honeymoon period he fades away?
1: I do believe a manager needs a good two seasons to get teams playing the way he wants. I had a chat to Nigel Gleghorn, who used to do the co-commentary for Radio Manchester, and he'd been a, a manager and a coach, a manager, and he said, "Your first season is just coming to." grips with what you've got in front of you. You start to make the crucial changes, and perhaps the second summer, you know, you start the fine-tuning. So really, it's your third season before you get where you want to be. And even a coach as good as Pep, with a team as who inherited not an unreasonable squad when he came to us, this is his third season now. And obviously, we had a great success last season. But I think you've got to look at, got to give a manager a chance. And um, a lot of Evertonians I spoke to yesterday were saying, uh, you know, we should give him a chance. They're not going to get relegated. I don't think they're all that bothered about being in Europe. Give the guy a chance to get things the way he wants. I used to say about Everton, they worried me because they had um, an aging team, they had very little money. But I think you look at Everton these days, they've got a very good squad. But I think you've got to give Marco Silva the time to do something with them. Just uh, looking at that
0: Everton lineup, Ray, so we're just going to go through them. We had Jordan Pickford. Uh, Someone that uh, the Liverpool supporters very unfairly claimed has very short arms. You've got a guy with the the most scouse name that you've ever heard in your life, John Joe Kenny. We have Michael Keane, Kurt Zuma, who was on Chelsea's books, Lucas Dina, Idrissa Gay, who apparently has got some of the best statistics for a, a holding midfielder in the division. Andre Gomez hasn't really worked out that well for him so far then theo wolcott we all remember i remember first hearing of theo wolcott when sven took him to the world cup as an 18 year old then tom davis who was i think made captain bernard and that was a guy that we remember playing against city for was it shaktar that's um, right
2: he goals last season against city
0: that's right and finally uh calvert lewin silva had decided to inject a bit of youth into the team, give them a bit of vigour. There was no one-minute or 30-second goal for Aguero this time, was there?
1: The team who nearly scored the early goal was Everton, actually, because Lero Sine had the ball in an advanced position, played it back, but it was a, a woefully misplaced pass. Everton broke. The ball came into the area. it was fouled, so we got a free kick out of that, but you know, they could have scored within... A minute or so afterwards,
0: Ray. Let's have a look at the city lineup. So we had Ederson, okay. Walker, Stones, Otamendi, Laporte, Gunduan, Fernandinho, David Silva, Bernardo Silva, Aguero, and Sani. Was there any um, eyebrow raising about that lineup, or were you quite satisfied with that?
2: Well, I think we've been led to believe. It depends what you, uh, part of uh, the media you read that Kevin De Bruyne would uh, not start the game. Obviously, uh, Laporte at left-back uh, was a little bit of a surprise. But having said that, it's um, I think in the last couple of games, Danilo's gone off the boil. And then when Walker uh, was reintegrated into the team, um, Danilo went to left-back. And he's been on the slide in the last game. I think um, he was quite poor. Um, so maybe it needed a change. And to put Laporte out there, I thought that experiment wasn't over. I mean, it's, it's going to be for the rare game. Out on the left, I think Raheem was rested and we went with Bernardo. I think Bernardo's played well this season, so well that we can rest Sterling and play Bernardo outright and feel very comfortable about that because we know Bernardo's going to put a heck of a lot of um, miles in. He's going to run up and down that pitch. He's going to work really hard and he's going to give it everything. And he's got a bit of skill to go with all that work rate as well. So um I think we're quite uh, happy uh, if he's playing or Sterling's playing uh, out on the right. So, Apart from that, I think it, it was definitely a good uh, good lineup from us.
0: Colin, uh, what did you think of the, the Man City line-up heading into this game?
1: Yeah, obviously, we um, it was quite a standard line-up. I mean, playing on the right wing is not Bernardo Silva's best position, I don't think, but um, it, it's about rotation at the moment, isn't it? Sterling needed a rest. Kevin De Bruyne is still, I think, feeling his way back into match fitness. Mendy, having come on the radar, seems to have, Disappeared off it again. So, yeah, I'm quite happy with that lineup.
0: Okay, uh, Ray, now it became clear within about five or ten minutes of the start of this game that Everton were employing a pretty vigorous high press. They were defending pretty robustly. I wasn't feeling that comfortable. City's uh, front three weren't getting a lot of joy. And that's pretty much the way that it proceeded right until just before the halftime whistle. How did you feel about it as, uh, as the game was unfolding?
2: I wasn't that worried. I, I I personally thought we had a reasonable start to the game. Then we had a normal lull where in the, the, the opposition team find a way to get some sort of foothold in the game. And at that time it was near-nil, so they definitely had a foothold in the game. So to be honest, I wasn't worried because... There were mistakes in Everton as well, and we had opportunities—not chances—but we had opportunities to create good chances, especially out um, where there was a lot of space out on on the left uh, on Sane's wing, and we had Pickford making errors. He made one really glaring error in uh, in the first half where we should have scored, and I think he made another one. Was it in the second half where we could have scored again? So I wasn't overly concerned in the first half. Second half was a different story where where I was more nervous and tense. But as the game goes on and you're only winning 1-0 um, and you're not looking like you're going to put it to bed, I think it's only natural and normal uh, to feel a little apprehension and anxiety. That's the word I'm looking for.
0: Colin, I was getting just, I think the best way to describe it was increasingly agitated as that first half went on. How did you feel about it?
1: It's funny because I watched the game, obviously I was there at the game, so I'm watching it in real time, and then I watched it back today, uh, the full game back today. Obviously it helps knowing what the result was, but that that first half, when you look at it kind of dispassionately, actually we were very comfortable, very, very comfortable, without creating a great deal, although we did have our chances. We were quite comfortable, Everton were were more about containment. I was never really worried that we would get to half-time other than 0-0. Certainly in the first half, you know, every miss kick and misplaced pass, people just get, you can feel the tension in the crowd. Ray, I'm
0: struggling to think of definitive moments in the first half before the goal. What do you remember about that?
2: Well, in general, I will, I will say we had a good volley from uh, Leroy Sane that went wide, but pre- precious little else from, from Leroy. He's had a, I was disappointed with him, I'll, I'll say that up front, because he's had a rest for the, uh, the last game. Um, but he had a whole host of offsides during that game poor passes poor touches very unlike him but in in terms of defining moments or could have been defining moments there was a corner from Gundogan he took a corner and Pickford got it all wrong he came out he started to come out to try and meet the ball and he just completely uh, bulged it up he missed it and he was caught in no man's land outside his um, uh, goal goal was totally empty and Laporte headed it and he just didn't get it as clean as he should. And he put it on the wrong side of the post. And all he had to do was put it on target and it had been a goal. And you could see he knew um, uh, he'd, he'd messed up because he had it held his uh, head in his hands. Um, because it was, a, was it a shocking miss or a, a poor miss. I, I don't know how badly you want to say it. Because he should really have got it on target. He wasn't under uh, any significant pressure. So he should have got it on target. So... That was one uh, moment. Um, I think we also hit the bar. I think uh, Silva had a... Um, it was near the byline. He put the ball in. Gundogan and uh, Aguero attacked it. I think Gundogan got the touch and it, hit, and it um, cannoned off the bar. Um, but really, that was about it until we scored.
1: Yeah. I mean, I've got in my notes a lot of... Gavin um, Silva hit the ball a bit too long yeah, or got- Lee Sane failed to control it yeah. or someone put the ball behind someone else or, you know, didn't get a decent shot away. So, I think we were in control that first half. Yeah, we could have come, we could have had a couple of, you know, if we had our shooting boots on. There there was a couple of offside decisions towards the end of the first half, which looked very, very dodgy indeed. Uh, Particularly when you think about what Liverpool got away with on Monday night. Um, uh, But, yeah, uh, but I think we were in control in that half. Do you
0: not think that uh, City need to have a, an increased willingness to shoot from outside the area when we're not making any inroads against um, a, a packed defence like that.
2: Yes, you could, you could argue that. I mean, I also thought when we were in, in the box, we were taking too many touches. Yep. Uh, people were not willing uh, to pull the trigger. And, you know, it's like, well, you've beaten three men, Mr. Sterling. Uh, this was late in the second half. Please, please have a shot. You don't need to beat the fourth man. And there's quite a few occasions with, I think Silva was guilty, Godon was guilty, Sterling was guilty. Many players, Aguero as well, have just taken too many touches and not let him pop. And really, the, the, if you look at the players who generally seem quite content to shoot from outside the box, that's going to be Kevin, Kevin De Bruyne. It's going to be Riyad Mahrez. He seems to be quite happy. Sergio used to be very happy to shoot from outside the box. But I'm not really sure how many other players... Are happy to shoot from twenty-five yards, mm-hmm. uh, Fernandinho occasionally, but most—but that's only once or twice a season.
1: And well, so seen, um, Danilo and Carl Walker do it as yeah. well. So it's not something we haven't got in our armoury,
2: but we tend not to do it. And um, I think it—it it was frustrating that reluctance to to have a pop up goal when we were in the box because anything can happen. You know, we've seen it many times when we've had a shot, the goalie saved it, and someone's got a tap in, or there's been a deflection. And if you're not going to shoot, if you're still trying to create that wonderful opening for yourself, sometimes it feels like you're overcooking it. When it comes off, it's brilliant. When it doesn't, it's frustrating.
0: Yeah, that's what I was going to say to Colin. Colin, is it not a little bit of a concern that teams, they know what City are going to do? Now, I know that people say, well, you know, there are many occasions when you know what someone's going to do, but you can't do anything to stop it. But... Is it becoming a little bit of a concern that uh, City's preferred way of uh, attacking and scoring goals is just very, very predictable and you can set up to frustrate them without too much difficulty?
1: I'm not sure I'd agree with that. I mean, this goes back to the conversation we were having about Michael Cox um, after the Arsenal game, said he'd never seen a team score as many tap as we do. And it wasn't being insulting. It was because we worked those situations, and I think now possibly we're so confident of our ability to work something. Uh, you know, we're, we're anything but predictable. And You think back to Sunday and that Gundu and chip to Sterling, which set up the second goal. We're, we're anything but predictable, I think. But I think I get what you mean. People know what we're going to try it well, think they know what we're going to try and do, but stopping it is another matter.
2: I'll, I'll jump, jump in. I, I, I would definitely agree. Exactly, you know teams know how we're generally going to play and we generally play that way and we generally have chances to score by playing that way. I mean, that uh, cross from David Silver to Gundogan, if you put that in, thats how, that's how we generally play. So even though teams know what we're going to do and try to stop what we're going to do, we still do it. We still have those chances and it's just one of those things. If we were super uber clinical, we'd score two or three goals exactly like that every single game. Um, so they can do what they want to stop us, but they can't stop us. It's up to, it, at the end of the day, it's it's some of our, let's say, poor finishing or good goalkeeping that prevents us from scoring some of the some some more of those tappings. ins uh, Colin
0: Everton had conceded eighteen goals from set pieces in all competitions this season going into the game, but at the same time, of course, I often feel City don't, don't make it. the most of their set pieces, but. It worked for us this time. Can you talk us through the goal and the rising of the salmon that is Laporte for this particular goal?
1: Well, obviously, he'd missed one earlier on. We're into the two minutes added on at the end of the first half, and Fernandinho was cluttered by Gaë, uh, who maybe should he maybe should have seen yellow for that. I'm not sure, but anyway, we had a, a free kick on the uh, as you as you look towards the Everton goal on the left hand side. Silver and Gundogan w- were lined up to take it, and I must admit, I expected Gundogan because his delivery is so so good. But he's sort of dumbest to take it, and David Silver floats the ball in. Now, now watch this goal a few times, and Kurt Zuma is supposed to be marking Laporte. He's a big unit, that guy, isn't he? He is. Yeah, yeah. I was quite impressed with him when he was at Chelsea, but he looks a complete donkey in an Everton shirt. Gundogan uh, faking to take the kick must have, I think, fooled them because obviously. What Everton, what, the, or what any defensive team want to do is hold the line. Zuma broke the line too early, so he came back, which effectively he left Laporte and obviously played him well on side. He then realised he shouldn't have been there, started to come back, then Silver took the ball and he went back again. So he was wandering around like a drunkard on a Friday night outside the pub. And Laporte just basically had a free header, uh, which this time he did get on target. He executed that beautifully.
0: You saw that powerful net go back. Boom, there it goes. Um, We often uh, criticise City for not being able to score from corners, but Ray, he's becoming a bit of a threat now. I mean, John Stones uh, started off like that last season and got a couple of goals from headers, but it seems to be Laporte now is our major threat uh, at these kinds of set pieces.
2: Well, Laporte's playing just about every game, so he's going to have more chances. Uh, he's, He's on the pitch more than Stones. I mean, it's something that, I think we've missed from last season because very early on in the season, we had uh, Nicholas Sotomendi scoring plenty of goals. Uh, I think he had um, four goals very, very early in the season. We had John Stones. I think he scored uh, three goals in Europe very early in the season. And I think getting to the knockout stages, he still had more goals than other teams' strikers. So it was a bit of a, a disappointment for me because I, I look at the uh, the number of corners and free kicks we have. I mean, you, you can see, uh, especially at some of the home games, we're into double figures in corners, but we're not scoring this season, and it's a great opportunity uh, for us to. to I, I, I'm surprised it, it feels sometimes that we don't work on crosses into the box. Um, but I, I, I'm old school. I like the ball you know, from a corner thrown into the box and for the defenders and the big. If we if we've got a big centre forward to all attack it and. You know, someone to get a thunderous header and, and, and blast it into the net. So that's what I like. And I've, I've, as I said, I've missed that. But Laporte, I mean, he had another one in the last game where he was offside and he hit it so hard. He headed it with such power. You know, it was like someone um, having a, a volley. It, it just seemed he twisted his neck and really pushed it in. Uh, but that was offside. So he, he's getting into dangerous areas and he's getting into the box. It seems more and more because. In the last game as well, didn't he put a cross in for Aguero to score? Mm-hmm. Um, so he, he's there, and he's in the mix. And it feels like this was we had quite early on last season. We had a lot of our defenders in the in the box, whether it, they were we, it was just an attacking um, phase uh, or, a, or a, a corner or a free kick or something. We had goals from I think we had Walker in there, we had Nico in there. Everybody was getting in the box, so the players were all over the place. And it's good to see. Laporte and, and the other defenders threatening as well in uh, in, op- in both open play and uh, from uh, dead ball situations.
0: Collard, Ray mentioned uh, Otamendi in there. Is it surprising to you just how many games he's starting from Mancini's be- beginning to, to get what we might call a run in the team? What, what do you think about this?
1: Seems to be, I don't know, seems to be a bit of a feeling that maybe Stones has let the side down in some way. I don't know what's been going on there. Was the stones that's been left on the bench? Otterman has come in, but there's still the odd brain fart in him. But all the back four had a mistake in them at one point during the game. But I think the only thing he did wrong, he had a free header, the ball Everton lumped the ball forward, uh, he wasn't under any pressure and he headed up straight up in the air, which is the last thing you want to do. But, but that's the only thing I can think of that he did wrong during the game. And I think we've said this before, haven't we? He's a very rugged centre half, he's a good old fashioned. Centre half. So when you're playing the old English centre forward, and I think Calvert Lewin comes into that category, you want Otter Mendy there to, to, you know, for a bit of brawn. But he's also a footballer. You know, he, he can pass. So it's no surprise to me. He's, um, you know, he's getting games. Mm-hmm. I, I know there's this issue about we want a settled centre back pairing, and I think that goes a long way. But without a reliable left back, with Laporte doing a job in there. I've no worries about Otamendi coming in. Ray, has Laporte supplanted the whole
0: Delph-Zinchenko experiment now? Because it seems that, I mean, Delph wasn't even in the uh, the match day squad. Zinchenko was on the um, bench. Do you think that Laporte has, has kind of made this position his own?
2: I don't think so. I think he's, um, it looks like Pep is picking and choosing. I mean, if you look at the whole season, how many games has Laporte started at left back?
0: Well, that's, that's true. Two, not not two, only so two or not, three, not, yeah. It's only two or three. And but I guess it's just lately, it, it seems like uh, Pep is nah, reluctant to go for midfielders as, as the left-back.
2: I think he's done it twice. From what I can remember, it's Liverpool and Everton. So it's something to do with Merseyside. Um, but it, it might just be because he wanted some height against um, Calvert-Lewin. Um, we had no other options. Uh, you know, he, he felt that D- Danilo needed a, a rest because Danilo's come back from injury, uh, long you know, two or three-month injury. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's normal that you, you might go through a phase where, you know, you you improve quickly with your games, but then you, you can actually drop again. Like, I think Kevin has had that and other players have that. So you can't keep on that trajectory of keep on improving. And sometimes you do need a break. So that might be what's happened with Danilo, Um, But personally, the way Danilo had played in the last few games, I'm I'm quite happy for him to play at left back. Laporte will only go out there, I think, for special occasions.
0: Um, Colin, did it surprise you how many nasty, niggling little fouls that Fernandinho got away with before he
1: finally got a yellow card? Um, No, actually. Obviously, you don't really take it in at the game. You know, you're not ticking things off. But when I watched it back, I watched the Fernandinho fouls. And I think there were three um, that I picked up that, that you could, you might look at and say, was that worth a yellow card? Uh, and none of them were in the first half, that I could see. Um, so in on 51, 51st minute, there was a foul on Davis, which, yeah, might have been a yellow card, might not have been. But the referee had been quite lenient thus far. Because um, I say that w- when we got the free kick for the goal, um, Idrissa Gueye could have been. Yeah, I think it was him. Could have been yellow carded. Uh, Davis and Fernandinho were at each other's heels, ankles throughout the whole game. There was a, a second foul on Davis um, about the sixty-third minute, and, and that was that was almost the most innocuous of the lot. But all the Everton players started to get quite upset about that for for no reason, and I, and I think this. This is the thing about Fernandinho and his tactical fouling, uh, and then of course the one he got booked for. I, I just it, it, I don't think it was that much worse than any of the others. It kind it of was trod on, the yellow trod, on, trod on his but, toe, uh, kind of but That was an accident. Accidentally, he
0: didn't yeah. Abs-
1: yeah, exactly. But I think um, he got the yellow card as much under the totting up um, procedure as as for the foul itself. So you know, when I saw people going on about how did Fernandinho stay on the pitch? Um, I'm not I'm not sure how Matic stayed on the pitch during the United <laughs> game, um, for, that's for sure. But I, I thought, you know, a yellow card was about... He, he came out of that with a yellow card. I think that was about right. Yeah. I mean, I,
2: I, I can't really see if... Well, if the referee wouldn't give a yellow card in the first half to the Everton player for the foul on Fernandinho, um, then he was... How could he give... Um, a yellow card to Fernandinho for lesser fouls on other players. So it, you're right, Colin, it was a matter of totting up. And I actually think a little bit of the pressure from the Everton players after the yeah. second innocuous foul, they give the referee a lot of pressure. And it was, I think the referee said to Fernandinho, next one you're going to get booked. So it's a combination of totting up and pressure from the Everton players because they were they seemed a bit over-incensed that he wasn't being booked for you know, for just being slightly late, he wasn't as if he was reckless or diving in, sliding in or anything. He was fractionally late. And, and I think that's part of football. It's a foul. All fouls are not necessarily yellow cards. Just carry
1: on and stop complaining. The referee, Craig, Craig Pawson, is not normally known for his um, kind of good refereeing, really. I mean, I was saying last night, he puts the paw into Pawson. But actually, <laughs> I thought it was quite good last night. It wasn't a dirty game. There weren't tackles flying in all over the place. He let the game flow more or less. Uh, you know, there were a few situations on both sides where players were looking for fouls, um, but he didn't give them. He let play on, and um, you know, I think it was a sensible piece of refereeing. Ray on yep. Man
0: City TV, you had quite a funny little section that you ran for a while called Mares Watch, and, I serious. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I am going to institute one here on the Bolt from the Blue podcast called Walker Watch now. <laughs> when um, when Richarlison came on on the 73rd minute, they got into a right old ding-dong battle. Uh, Walker and Richarlison, aggressive, feisty uh, showing from uh, Walker. How did you feel that he had been playing and how do you think that he dealt with that, uh, that threat that was coming down his side?
2: I don't think... Uh, I'm, I'm, this season, I'll be honest, I've been disappointed, uh, very disappointed with Walker. I think last season he looked uh, very good. And I was hoping he'd kick on even more. And this season, his game uh, has been littered with errors. Last season, we saw a few. Uh, we saw it with England. Lapses in concentration, but it just seems to be more and more this season where he's uh, holding on to the ball too long, being intercepted, bad passes. We saw it last night towards the end of the game, a short pass put us under uh, a lot of pressure. And one of the reasons I was glad Richarlison didn't start the game, because when he came on, he gave Walker a torrid time. Walker couldn't really compete with Richarlison. There's a couple of occasions where Richarlison came inside Walker. You'd you'd have expected Walker to show him the outside, but he came on the inside and he left Walker. And Walker's a fast player, and he really should have done. You'd have hoped a lot better. So I think he's. That's my opinion. And some people said he had a great game. I didn't think so. I I, I mean I'm not a negative. Not an overly negative person, but you look at some of the... I mean, I, I look out for errors. Um, maybe I'm sad that way, but you remember the errors more than you remember the good things. And that's what I, I remembered a few errors from from Walker. And so it's another one of those games where I don't think he's doing well enough. Not, I wouldn't say it goes far as to, say to have a long-term future at City, because that's, that's overly dramatic. Uh, but he has to step up. He, he has to step up. Otherwise surely Pep would look elsewhere because you can't have, you know, in the if you want to be playing and winning things like the Champions League, you can't have a, a right-back who's making two or three major errors per game and you're basically relying on Everton not having enough quality to punish us properly. If that had been, for argument's sake, uh, Juventus or Barcelona, maybe we'd have been punished uh, a lot more severely than we are being this season with other teams.
0: Colin, did you, did you feel that um, Walker was going to nut Richarlison at one point? <laughs> well,
1: I thought um, Walker and Stones were going to have a set to it at one point. Uh, yeah, half. did you see that? I they don't know if they showed that on TV. Other. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, I saw um, that. W- Walker let Bernard get inside him. And it was a very sort of indecisive attempt to get the ball, and Bernard whipped in. And Stones was really giving him some shit for about 30 seconds. Walker was giving him some back. And um, yeah, I thought it was going to kick off between them. I say, I don't know whether they showed that on TV or not, it but did, yep. it was right in front of us. Yeah, and it yeah, it, away.
2: We saw that. We saw that. Yeah. Stones was shouting at Walker. Walker was in the wrong. And Walker tried to defend himself when he really didn't have a leg to stand on because yeah, just... Stones wanted to save him. Yeah, he should have just, yeah. just said, yeah, my fault. I'm really sorry. But, instead but of arguing with him.
1: I did watch Walker when I watched the game back. I watched yeah. Walker quite carefully, and overall, he had quite a good game. I think everyone in that back four played really well last night. The only one the, slight, the...
0: slight frustrating thing for for me about Walker is he does tend to slow the play down a little bit because he gets the ball, he comes forward, and he generally doesn't uh, go forward. He kind of turn, turns back and, and passes the ball in fields a lot more than I remember him doing last season, uh, Colin.
1: Um, yeah, I think... Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I say I watched him carefully last night. Obviously, he's had his bad games this season. And um, I, I, I think I said I was talking. I'm not sure if I said it in the last podcast. Talking to a Spurs fan who said that is Walker's problem. You know, he will. He'll have. He'll play well for 18, 89 minutes, and then his concentration will drop. And, you know, and we see that regularly. But I mean, Otamendi made mistakes last night. Uh, Laporte made a couple um, <laughs> stones. I think made a. You know, uh, defenders will make mistakes. But I think the thing with Walker, Walker did two or three times get forward quite quickly. I mean, there was one um, latest in the second half where he really busted a gut and beat a couple of Everton players and and got the ball out of trouble. So I I wouldn't criticise Walker too much on last night's performance. But I think it was obvious that Stones, there's a bit of frustration with him potentially among his teammates because he does have these lapses. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, the, one, the one that I do remember, and that's the one why, why he, he
2: sticks in my mind, was it's quite late on in the game. And he did a very poor pass, which was far too short. And when, when you've got control of the ball, your defenders are in a certain position. Uh, uh, and we were high up, high up the pitch. And we're not expecting to lose the ball. So there's no way those defenders are going to be marking the Everton player who has stood way on the right on his own. They were not interested in in him because we had the ball and we had three men. I think Everton had one man, and so we had three men who you'd expect to pass it around. Walker did a par, a poor pass; it was, very, it was way too short. I don't know the Everton player. He stepped. It might have been Sigurdsson and played the strike. It might have been Calvert-Lewin. I, I can't remember who was who. Played him through, and he was way out on his own, on his own. And if it wasn't for Edison quickly coming out and yes, uh, yes, I remember. The that. Pitcher, you know, that was an extreme, you know, a better, actually a better ball to the Everton striker. Might have made all the difference. So we, we did rely on Edison's quick thinking uh, and bravery to come out and, uh, you know, snuff out that, that danger. But that, that sort of mistake, I mean, I just think, you know, when we get into the latter stage of the Champions League, if that had been a messy pass, it would have been a lot, you'd have expected it to be a lot better. And the player would have had a, a one-on-one with Edison. And that has all come from a short pass, a mistake that shouldn't have been made when we had three players to pass it around. So that's what worries me. We players can always make mistakes, and it's going to happen in every game. But you can't, in every game, make a big error like that. And, and I feel that teams believe they can get at our fullbacks either behind them or inside them. And I think Walker's, you know, you've been being guilty of that if you look at the Wigan goal. In the FA Cup last season, you know, lots of concentration, a couple for England in, in the summer. And that's what worries me about him. He's He's got plenty of pace, he's got skill, he's got strength, he's got some nice, but he's also got this um, ability to kind of switch off at the wrong moment. Um, Colin, I,
0: I don't know about you, but I was quite impressed with that uh, Everton front four. It uh, started off, of course, of as Walcott, uh, Tom Davis, Bernard and, and Calvert-Lewin. Of course, Richardson came on for Bernard in the 73rd minute. Tosin replaced Walcott in the 80th minute. But um, throughout the game and, and up until the late stages of the second half, those guys were uh, forming quite a formidable uh, press and uh, they look quite threatening to my view. What did you think?
1: It reminded me a bit of the second half of the Arsenal game, actually, where their forwards were working very hard, but defensively, not in an attacking sense. And I think I, don't, I, think, I think I said before that's why I think Marco Silva went with that lineup. And that's the, I think that's the impact we have on teams, isn't it? They're almost more worried about stopping us than they are about doing something themselves, particularly teams outside the you know outside the top six. It wouldn't have been the team I'd have played, but yeah, I think. The, the whole that whole Everton team including the front four worked incredibly hard for the whole game and I think you've got to give them some credit for that yeah
0: uh, ray the first substitution we obviously we were 1-0 up we're going back a little bit in the narrative but um it it was it it was the 59th minute uh, before city made the first substitution um, a lot of people were thinking, you know, let's get Kevin De Bruyne on. But uh, he actually went for Sterling. Um, was that the right substitution? Uh, and did, did you think that Leroy had, uh, had run his course by that point?
2: I, I was surprised Leroy uh, lasted almost 15 minutes of the second half because it did. his performance didn't seem to be any different to the first half, which, as I said, right at the beginning of the pod was a disappointment. He's had a rest. He's had a game's rest. You'd hope that he'd come um, really firing to, to show everybody that he's the man. And uh, as, as Colin has said as well, you know the passes they were a, a bit long. The number of offsides for San must have been four or five. And he's got such pace that you feel he, he shouldn't be offside. He doesn't need to be. He doesn't need to take such a risk to be on, on, the, on the shoulder of the defender. He, he can start a yard behind and still beat him over five yards. A couple of t- uh, times where he took the ball off the pitch when he was under con- under control, and it's like you're a professional footballer. You know, you, you, you know that's something that Colin or I might do uh, at, at, at our advanced age ages, but not someone in their twenties and who's a professional footballer. And it, it just it was too many silly little mistakes for a player of such exceptional talent. So for me, it was it was the right decision. Raheem came on. He looked more exciting. He looked more dynamic. He got into their box. He, he, he made defenders worry. He, he got past people. So for me, yeah, I mean, it worked out as the right decision. You know, you don't know, obviously, before the player comes on. You haven't got that. Uh, you can't look into the future as to how he'll do. But looking in hindsight, it was the right decision because Sterling did make a difference.
0: Guys, is there anything else that we want to say uh, particularly about the second half before we start to talk about Gabby so, J? Yeah, uh,
2: there was one for me. Where Pickford again was poor. The cross came in. I can't remember if it was from a corner. He was, he was beaten in the air. I think by Bernardo. He was in yeah. no man's land. It was, it was just woeful uh, goalkeeping. And Sergio, he 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 went for this overhead kick, and it bobbled agonisingly wide. And you know when, when he hit it, it was like, oh, this is going to be a fantastic goal. Not only is is he my fantasy football captain, I'm getting double points and everything else, I'm feeling really good about this. And it's going to be a great overhead kick. And it's, to, But it just bobbled the wrong side of the post. But that was the second time in the game that Pickford had made a, a massive error. And I think he made a good save earlier on as well. But you can't keep making massive errors. Um, and those were two big ones. And he's made other blunders this season that have benefited the uh, teams that we'd rather... Didn't get the benefit of his blunders.
1: I think for me, there's a few things about the second half. I'm a bit surprised Kevin De Bruyne didn't come on earlier. Because David Silva was having a very, very quiet game. Well, not just by his standards, by anyone's standards. Mm -hmm. Um, Very much in the background. uh, uh, A little bit anonymous to to some degree. Um, Kevin De Bruyne is the Chelsea killer, so perhaps he was being saved for that. being saved, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Aguero as well, I think after his wonderful world-class performance on Sunday, again, he was back to that. And I think Sunday must have taken it out of him, but he was back to that, running into trouble with the ball, nothing terrible, but he looked tired. He looked kind of mentally and physically tired. And I'm a bit surprised that Gabriel Jesus wasn't on before, what, 78 minutes. So, yeah, I'd have been looking to get Gabriel Jesus on by 70 minutes. uh, And get some running up there. So, that, that, that was the only couple of things about the, the second half. But th- there's one last thing. Two or three occasions where we had a chance for a shot on or around to the edge of the box. Uh, Silva and Gundogan and I think Aguero, and maybe yeah. someone else, Did wasn't well. quick enough to take the shot. Sterling, uh, they weren't quick enough to take the shot, but, which was a little bit worrying. Because, of course, Everton then were bringing on their more attack-minded players. So Sigurdsson came on for Gomez and Richarlison came on for Bernard. And finally, Tossens came on for Walcott.
0: Well, Gabriel Jesus did come on, as you say, for Sergio. And he did make a difference. Talk me through
2: what happened. Well, KDB KDB had only been on the pitch for five or six minutes. But you could feel his impact. Jesus, he obviously came on for Aguero. And you could feel his impact too. Because I think possibly Aguero was flagging a little bit. He's putting, obviously, a sterling effort at the weekend. Um, and he's worked hard. Uh, he worked hard last night, and, and Jesus was there, running, working exceptionally hard. Uh, and I'm really pleased he's he's got a lot of goals because I feel his game, his overall game, has improved as well with the, with the confidence he's got and his willingness to work hard and smarter. So yeah, KDB put an early ball through to, to Gabby, and it felt like it was going to be Southampton uh, a Centurion goal all over again. As Gabby tried to chip Pickford as Pickford came kind of sliding out. and I think he got his hand or his face to it and it ballooned up in the air. Jesus was quicker uh, off the mark, quicker to react. He headed the rebound into the net and it kind of looped and went slowly. And it was, you knew it was, it was, it was virtually the last kick of the game. Um, And it just uh, looped in. Everton defenders tried to get back, but it was, uh, yeah, it was too late. And the game was done and dusted.
0: Colin, there were two wonderful two wonderful times to score goals, weren't they? I mean, yeah. just, just, I mean you couldn't have scripted it better. One in the dying um, moments of the first half, and the second one, you know, pretty much uh, on 90 plus seven. It, it was the, the kind of clinical edge that we've been looking for, wasn't it?
1: Well, yeah, I, and of course, in terms of the atmosphere, um, that just really set it up. Because, I mean, Everton had actually started for the first time to look a bit threatening in those last 10 minutes or so. And they'd had a couple of opportunities and one, almost as soon as Richardson came on, Walker made that poor touch on the ball, which put the ball into his path there was another one where Fernandinho got the ball taken off his toes and Everton had um, an attack which fortunately came to nothing. They had a free kick later on. From that free kick, of course, we got the goal. But, yeah, you can imagine the atmosphere. Cameras are above the away fans at Everton. So you can't really see everyone going crazy. But, yeah, it was fantastic when that second goal went in.
2: Andy sent me some um, uh, some video footage last night. Uh, of uh, He'd actually uh, recorded the goal being scored and the fans going mental. And I think that's one thing always take away from these away games is the fan contribution to the atmosphere. They are an extra man almost. Uh, for you, and you can hear it on TV, loud and clear, the City fans singing away pretty much throughout all the game. Andy sent me footage of both goals and the City fans were going absolutely ballistic. The second one, it was incredible and there's nothing that beats going to a game because you get in amongst the, you know the city fans who are going uh, up and down the country and it is an electric uh, atmosphere uh, and and the feeling when we score i mean it's great when you when you score at home when you're in, in amongst all the other city fans but away it's got it seems to have that extra special feeling because every single person around you is going mental and it's great to be in amongst 3000 people all going crazy at the same time and you can we could let our hair down and go mental too. So it's great. It's a great feeling.
0: Well, guys, I hope to share this with you because <laughs> the next game is Manchester City against Chelsea. I'm going to be in there and I, I hope to be uh, launched from the top of that stand in, <laughs> into the middle of uh, City supporters when we beat yeah. them next uh, week. Colin, it's it's all a question, isn't it, of which Chelsea turns up? Is it going absolutely. to be the Chelsea the Chelsea that beat us 2-0 or is it going to be the chelsea that lost 4-0 to bournemouth that's the well, question you know
1: even, even the chelsea that beat us 2-0 we could have been well on top of that game before that before half time so um you know i'm i'm confident we can beat any team on our day it will be a tough test i think we'll be alongside the liverpool game i think yeah. as a as a tough game i can't see it will be anything else but let, let's hope that the fairly inept Chelsea that got beat 4-0 by Bournemouth turns up. Yeah, and there
0: are all kinds of behind the scenes drama with Sarri and the board yeah. and him calling out Hazard and saying that he can't motivate them. It's a it's a quite a nice uh, atmosphere from our point of view of what's going on in the background there at uh, Stamford Bridge, isn't it?
2: It is, but I think for the big game You'd be very disappointed if the players can't motivate themselves. I think this, this is the kind of stage that Hazard wants to show the world what, what he's capable of. Uh, it's going to be a, a you know, match that's watched all over the world by hundreds of millions of people uh, in all likelihood. And Hazard wants to show them on that stage that he, he, he's deserving of a place, um, of a move to Real Madrid, which looks uh, ever more likely in, in the summer. But I think, the, I'm going to say, I think the crowd definitely has a big part to play, like the Liverpool game. I think the crowd really did make a difference in that Liverpool game. Uh, and I hope uh, that we can do exactly the same or at least similar uh, against Chelsea. We are the best team in the land and all the world, but we are the best team in the Premier League. And I think if we can play at you know, 80, 90 percent at least of our capacity, then we'll prevail.
0: Guys, there's just one thing I wanted to talk about very briefly before we finish, and that is that we now know our opponent in the fifth round of the FA Cup, and we've got Newport County, and they are have been on Twitter <laughs> reveling in the fact that they are going to create a pitch that could be something out of the Battle of the Somme. Aren't they sort of obliged to, to create some kind of a playable surface, Ray?
2: <laughs> no, it's that... Uh... It's entirely their own choosing as to uh, how poor the pitch is. I think there has to be a certain standard, a certain minimum standard. You know, you can't just rake the pitch up, get the tractor on it and um, tear it to pieces and then go and play a game of football. So I think there has to be a minimum uh, level. But in the last round, you saw it was cutting up and that was deemed acceptable. So I don't see why they can't put something similar uh, on for City. And look, it, it does forgive the pun, level the playing field a little bit to have a rotten pitch. But surely, surely City have enough class, enough quality and enough uh, determination to see it through. Fingers crossed.
1: Well, and I, well, I watched that game on Tuesday yeah. night, actually. Newport could play football, so they weren't hoofing it in the yeah. air. They were playing the ball on the ground and they managed perfectly well. So I'm sure we'll be able to. Uh, and the conditions were shocking. I mean, it was absolutely <laughs> heaving down, which which probably didn't help. So with a bit of luck, to be a bit drier. But you know, Newport played football. So
2: I think the thing is, Middlesbrough weren't up for it, and it showed. And I think that that's the minimum that City have got to do. If we're up for it, we'll we'll go through comfortably. If we're not up for it, it's going to be a struggle. You know, if, if any reverse against Newport would just be, it'd be one of the worst. I mean, I, and, I, and I've lived through, like, losing 1-0 at Halifax Town all those years ago. And Shrewsbury this
1: would, and... Oh, yeah, oh
2: please. I, oh. I, I, look, Colin, Colin, you got a better memory than me, but I'd, I'd put some some games um, out of my mind. The Halifax is one that really sticks in my mind because that was abysmal. The
0: 4-0 but, FA Cup exit to Brighton. Do you remember that one?
1: No, certainly yeah. not, mate. You know, I don't yeah, remember. Yeah. I don't yeah, we're gonna we're gonna have a whole podcast on City's <laughs> FA Cup exits, couldn't we? But let let's look forward to the game against yeah. um that and it's wonderful, isn't it? I mean, it's the romance of the cup. How can people disrespect this competition when you get you know, all right, there are a lot of ordinary games, but you get Newport County versus Manchester City. And you know, you think about, about Burton what their fans must have been thinking. And it sounds a bit arrogant, but can you imagine the boots on the other foot and you're thinking, you're going to see Sergio Aguero, you're going to see David Silva, you're going to see Kevin De Bruyne, you're know, you going to see Amarit Laporte and John Stones, you're going to see Fernandinho probably. Great for them, lovely. And they're going to be up for the fight. There's no doubt about it.
0: I actually had to look up Newport on the map to find out where it was. I couldn't, you know, that shows you the level of my education, but...
2: The level of your ignorance, mate. Uh-huh, Come the
0: off. level of my <laughs> ignorance. Yeah, I mean, it's down there in South East Wales. Will either of you two chaps be um, be tempted to make that trip? What do you think, Ray? It
2: depends on tickets. I mean, it's, uh, off the top of my head, it's a small ground. There's uh, going to be probably little more than a thousand tickets available. And it's already tough to get tickets. Where in for a normal league game where we might get 3,000, it's already very difficult. So if there's only a 1,000 or a little over a 1,000 available, it's going to be like pulling hen's teeth. Yeah.
1: I think they're putting up um, a temporary stand. So I have heard we may get about 1,600 tickets. But it is a hell of a... I went down to Cardiff and you put the last stop on the train before yeah. Cardiff. And Cardiff was a real killer of a trip. I'm not sure... <laughs> Like you say, tickets will be like gold dust for this one. Yeah. But obviously, it's on TV as well, which I guess helps.
0: I think we'll leave it there. We're looking forward to the game against Chelsea. And uh, following that, of course, game against Newport. We'll be with you after both games on the Bolt from the Blue podcast. But it's time to uh, say cheerio for for now and express our gratitude to our two guests. So, first of all, thank you very much, Ray.
2: Uh, as I say, it's always a pleasure.
1: And also... Press which blue, Colin Savage? I can only echo what my fellow um, podcaster said. It's always a pleasure to be with you and Ray. Thank you very much, guys. Uh, Thank you all
0: for supporting the uh, Bolt from the Blue podcast. Keep listening. We'll keep churning out these pods. And until the next time, as we always say, have one on us and up the blues.
3: Take a holler